Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins. And today I'm here with Chandler Benoy. Hey, hey. And uh, a guest who's been on here several times. He's, he's spoken at Pipeline. Um, it, and if you think about it, you know who, you, you, you know this guy. Um, Bob Russell is... Man, when we talk about Leadership Pipeline, um, I will frequently mention Bob because he was the senior minister at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville for 40 years and took it from, you know, a, a very small church to one of the largest churches in America. But that's not why you should know Bob. Uh, you should know Bob because he also hired not only his replacement, but his replacement replacement <laughs> um, names you might know. Dave Stone and Kyle Eidelman. Um, so, it, it, you know, when we think about um, leadership pipeline, when I think about succession, I think about Bob Russell. And uh, a couple of years ago, uh, we had a leadership pipeline and, uh, event and the theme was succession. And we were just blessed to have Bob there and uh, John Piper there and, I can't remember, maybe Trip, maybe Paul Trip. We we had a, a really good lineup of people. Uh and man, it was just uh it was a, a true blessing uh to ha- to have you there, Bob. And uh you may not know this because you've probably heard of other books uh on succession because this one's about 10 years old now, but he's got a book called Transition Plan um that is just absolutely amazing as well. So I really encourage you to um uh, to pick that up. And we're just so excited uh, to have you here today, Bob. Well, thank you, Todd. You know, when your successor has a successor, you, you know, you're pretty old. Uh, <laughs> but we really feel good about the uh, passing of the baton at Southeast Christian Church and it, and it went well. But I've been retired from there uh, now for 14 years. And Dave Stone, my successor, just passed the baton on to Kyle Adaman, as you mentioned. Well, every time we talk, Bob, I always bring up that my uh, my wife's family went to Southeast when they were in Louisville for a few years, and they love their time there. And one of the gifts that I received from them was your book, After 50 Years of Ministry. And as I've read it, it's just a great resource. So let me, let me ask you this, because as I was reading it, I wanted to know, you, you have seven things I do differently and seven things I do the same. How, how did you narrow down those seven things in each area? What did that look like writing that book for you? Well, I jotted down uh, a number of things and probably had 12 or 14 in each category. <laughs> it's easier to get the things I do differently. <laughs> but then I began to think about two things. One was which ones would be the most common that would help guys in ministry. And the other was, uh, could I condense some of them under one category? But that was, a, it was kind of a fun experience writing that book because I had spent uh, several years uh, doing retreats with preachers and it was kind of an expansion of some of the lectures that I give at this retreat. So that was uh out of uh, an easier book to write because it came out of uh, my experience and from my heart, frankly. Well, thank you for writing. It's been a great resource. 
So I'm glad you mentioned that, Bob, uh, that you do these retreats with pastors. Um, and you had mentioned before the podcast, you've been doing those uh, now for years and years as well. So and you've done 102 of those. And there's eight guys wow. at each one. And talk about what that what does that look like, um, that time that you have with them? Well, when I, when I retired, I didn't want to retire just to play golf every day and do nothing. I, I, I have a 62 years old and I wanted to have another chapter in my life when I would have a, a change of pace, but would, would do something uh, that I thought would contribute to the kingdom of God. And I listed four or five things that I wanted to do. And one of them was I, I needed to be more of an encourager to the Timothys who had gone out from our church because I had been so busy. I felt like I had neglected a lot of them. So I began to call them back in little, little groups and spend three or four days with them. And that was the, the nucleus of these retreats that I do. And uh, it went so well. And they said it was so helpful. I offered it to people who didn't come through the channel of our church and they would come, these guys come to uh, our area for three days uh, we make them put $500 down so they show up, but we give them their money back when they come. And uh, we have a retreat center at our at the church's camp, which is kind of like a, a Hampton Inn. The facilities are really good. And we spend three and a half days, half the time studying and talking about the church and talking about situations. And then half the time uh, taking a break, we go to the Bat factory. We'd go out to eat. We one afternoon we go bowling for dollars. One night they come to my house and and eat at my house and and it's, it's as much networking and interaction with each other as it is uh, benefiting from guests and lectures talking about ministry. But but you know nobody understands preachers except somebody who has gone through that experience. And the fact that I had the experience of both small church and large church uh, gives me some degree of credibility to at least begin with. And uh, we call them the retreats a time of refreshing. And preachers are always pouring out into others. And this is a time when they can come and relax and just uh, hopefully be fed and uplifted and encouraged. You know, as you were mentioning that, as pa pastors and preachers are always always pouring out, and it's it's very necessary to pour pour back into yourself and, and really focus on your your own walk with the Lord, your own emotional health. And Todd, I promise we're going to get to the questions, but I, I do want to follow up on this real quick. We we are having um, an event uh, airing probably by the time this podcast releases, it'll already be aired with Pete Scazzaro and our president of Lifeway, Ben Mandrell, talking about the emotionally healthy pastor. And especially during this time of COVID-19 and just all of the difficulties that our world's facing, but also as pastors is trying to figure out how do we reopen our church? What are, how do we, the guidelines are we supposed to follow? And how do I minister to people who are, who are not gathered together? What advice would you give from your ministry years to pastors walking through this season of how do you focus on your own walk with the Lord and emotional health so that you can be healthy enough to minister to others. <laughs> well, this is my first lecture to these guys. It takes about 45 <laughs> minutes. But, you know, ministry is uh, a wonderful calling, but it's a tough occupation. And 
we, when Jesus uh, was going through the crowd and a woman touched the hem of his garment and he stopped and said, who touched me? He said, well, a lot of people touched me. He said, no, I felt, felt the power go out from me. I always tell the guys, it, we think we can serve and serve and serve, but every time we serve, there's a, a, a sense in which power, energy is draining from us. And we can't just serve without being served, or we can't just pour out of the Holy Spirit without being filled with the Holy Spirit. And there has to be a balance in these guys' lives. And we see so so many guys falling to moral problems, guys uh, dropping out and say they don't believe in Christ anymore, or guys committing suicide. Uh, I serve on the Center for Church Leadership in the Christian Church. We did a survey, pretty extensive survey. 70% of the guys who begin in ministry in the Christian Church drop out in the first 10 years. Wow. And 43% say that they have seriously considered dropping out. And and our movement has been do- doing pretty well. And I would imagine that's pretty accurate across denominational lines. So we, we have got to find ways where the minister can withdraw from the crowds and have a refilling, a refreshing of his spirit. So many times uh, in reading about Jesus, he withdrew from the crowd and went apart into a mountain to pray. Or he said to his disciples, let's go to the other side of the lake. And I I think two things. Preachers need times when they're off by themselves and they're not ministering to anybody and they're being fed themselves or being replenished. And the second is we need to learn to shift gears at the end of the day and not take work home with us and be able to say, okay, that's the best I can do today, Lord. I'm going to go home and be focused on my family and, and, and learn to shift gears. And that's a, that, that was a trick that took a long time for me in ministry. Uh, and I promise we'll get to the other questions as well. <laughs> but um, I have a follow-up question on that one. And that is when you look at life and ministry and you're a pastor, you know, part of the reason why I think some of my friends aren't around anymore in ministry is because they did compartmentalize their lives or, and used um, almost an excuse of boundaries. What's the, what's the balance there when life is ministry and ministry is life? um, How do you, how do you balance those two things? Well, I, I, I think there needs to be a personal promise. I'm going to be authentic. I almost dropped out of Bible college because I was turned off by some of the phoniness that I saw around me. And I was determined from the beginning, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to be as authentic as I can be and admit my failures and, and let people see some of the, the weaknesses. I know you can take that to the extreme, but... I think you make a personal promise. I'm, I'm not going to be a phony. Uh, the second thing is, I think you need truth tellers in your life. And I had some close friends. I mean, close friends, guys I played golf with or guys I went to ball games with, out to eat with, who were truth tellers to me. And they would cut at me. And if I would get a little bit pompous, they would tease me and, and, uh, uh, I remember I was going on a golf trip to Minnesota 
And I was given these golf clubs by a Saturday morning men's Bible study, and I didn't know it, but they had my name etched on the, each club, had a little thing. And I left a club behind me, and the foursome behind me had picked it up. And they were. we got to a par three, and they shouted from a hill behind me, Bob Russell, Bob Russell. <laughs> And I thought, oh, no, somebody knows me all the way up here in Minnesota. I was strutting a little bit. And he said, you left your club here on the last hole. And then, <laughs> so my friends, for the next 16 holes, were riding me. Hey, did you see him strutting? I'm known even up here in Minnesota, man. I'm somebody important. <laughs> I, think, I think you need some people close to you who uh, who tell you the truth, who, who can – you can be yourself with. And uh, that was important to me. Man, that's such good advice. Bob, I think you have the best failure stories uh, ever. <laughs> I, got a lot. I got a lot of them. <laughs> you, I, well, you share new ones every time. And just, you know, we know you're authentic because you always have a new story. <laughs> and it's always really great. Um, but, yeah, I remember you talking about uh, – missing somebody's wedding and that was really refreshing <laughs> that was refreshing to you yeah because <laughs> i've forgotten a lot of things but i haven't forgotten a wedding so I, never, I never told my story about missing a wedding and had somebody come up and say i can tell a worse one than that <laughs> i mean I, <laughs> I had one i had one just this and i'm bad i mean i'm 76 years old i thought i would be a spiritual giant by this time but i still struggle I took my grandson three or four months ago to a University of Louisville, Michigan basketball game, and both teams were rated up toward the top, and it was a big game, and the traffic was heavy. And I got in the wrong lane, and the traffic just came to a dead standstill. And here I've got my 15-year-old grandson, and we're, we might, if it doesn't hurry up, we're going to miss the tip-off, and I'm getting real anxious. Patience in the great virtue of mine. <laughs> and this guy in a sports car comes up on my left and zooms and he sticks his nose right in front of me to, to uh, cut in line. And that made me mad. If he had asked me, I probably would have let him in line. But I mean, just to nose his way in. So I'm ticked off a little bit, and I pull my car up beside him and roll down the window and look over at him, and I say, you want to ask me? You want to ask me to get in line? He said, oh, yeah, Brother Russell, you're my pastor. Yes. Can I come get in line? <laughs> I just thought, oh, yeah, come on in, come on in. And oh, I think, what a lesson for my my grandson. You know, when I die, my grandson's going to say, you know, my pop could be pretty feisty at times. Instead of being able to say, I mean, I was with my pop, and he's so patient with people. Uh, <laughs> But when, it, when it's over, I know I've made a mistake, but uh, but I will tell that as a sermon illustration because I want the congregation to know their their pastor is an imperfect human being, and that we're here to worship Christ together, and we all need grace. So I, I uh, if if people are looking for a spiritual giant to lead them, they got the wrong guy. Well, if you enjoy those stories and if you want to hear more, of course, Bob has so much wisdom of how to recharge and how to be a minister who can stick around for the long haul. You're going to want to check out those um, mentoring uh, retreats with him. And then also we mentioned a few of the resources that he's written. So you're going to want to check those out. But we are finally going to get into the questions here and we'll get started with the first one, Bob, which is this. Who are you learning from right now? Mm -hmm. 
Well, I, I'm honored by that question because I'm 76 years old, and it's it's hard to learn from somebody older because all my older mentors are dying. I, I just hate that Robbie Zacharias passed away and uh, people like that. But, you know, it seems like I, I, I had a friend named Cotton Jones years ago. He's 15 years older than I, but he was a smart guy. And he came to hold a revival for me when I was a young preacher. And I was showing him through the building, came to my office, and he started looking at the books on my shelf. He said, you know, you can look at a man's library and know when his mind died. And I wasn't sure what he meant, but before he came back, I went and bought a bunch of books. <laughs> but you can't. We, we, we can't let our mind die. We, we have to keep learning and learning from people and learning from experiences. And the Lord brings people into our lives at different stages. And four or five years ago, I met a guy named Matthew Sleeth who is the head of a ministry in Lexington, Kentucky called Blessed Earth. And he's written a book called 24-6. And he's uh, writing another book right now about suicide that's really going to be good. But Matthew Sleeth was the head of a uh, emergency room in the, in the hospital in Maine. And he was a total unbeliever until about 12, 14 years ago. And he began to see the problems of the world and searching for some answer. And he read the Quran. he studied various religions. And one day in the middle of the night, nothing was going on in the ER room. And he came through the waiting room and picked up a Gideon Bible. And he read himself into Christianity. Brilliant, brilliant man. And his wife was Jewish. And she eventually converted, two kids converted, and he sold, uh, he, he, he backed off his practice and downsized and moved to Lexington, Kentucky from Maine and started this ministry called uh, Blessed Earth. But he's a strong believer and just a fascinating person because of his uh, emphasis on learning to take a break and emotional health and because of his emphasis on uh, environmental care from a biblical viewpoint. He gets invited to a lot of radio and television programs and uh, spoke, spoken at the uh, Washington Cathedral and, and some imp really important places. But somehow we became friends. And I'm telling you guys, he's one of these guys that – He's learned more about the Bible and more about Christianity than most of us have in a lifetime. You know, some of these guys, they're so smart, and he, he, he doesn't have any filter from a college or an upbringing, and he just looks at the Bible in a fresh light. And uh, we get together, we talk a lot about the Bible, and he'll start telling me about what he's been learning. For example, uh, I, I was preparing a sermon on for Easter on uh, Mary Magdalene meeting Jesus. And I said, have you looked at that passage? And he said, I'll tell you what fascinates me about that. Mary Magdalene mistook Jesus for a gardener. She didn't think he was a carpenter. She didn't think he was a fisherman. She thought he was a gardener. And you know what? The first Adam was a gardener. And the second Adam was really a gardener too. My, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and my father prunes the branches. And just looking at the scripture from a whole different standpoint, uh, it's so refreshing to be with somebody like that. So if, if you're asking me who I'm learning from, I hope I'm learning from 
uh, still learning at age 76, but I enjoy that friendship just to look at the Bible from a different perspective with Matthew Slee. So, Bob, when you look at your ministry now, I mean, you've been retired, but not retired uh, in the traditional way people think of it um, for 14 years now. What's the main point of emphasis in your leadership and ministry at the moment? Yeah, well, I, I really feel that, that God's call on my life right now is to be an encouragement to preachers. And uh, as I said, I've done over a hundred of these retreats and a lot of these guys will text me or email me with issues that they're dealing with or can I call you tonight? I want to talk about something. I'm coming through a little local. We go out and eat. Uh, I want to just talk about my situation. And I, I, I have an opportunity to be an encourager to, to preachers, and that continues to expand. And I really, really like that role. The other thing I do, I write a blog every week. Since I'm not writing new sermons every week, the blog gives me an opportunity to comment mostly on cultural issues from a biblical perspective. It gives me a chance to vent. And uh, uh, the last blog I wrote uh, last Sunday night, I said, I'm, I'm so angry about some things going on in our culture right now. And the Bible says uh, that anger does not bring about the righteousness that God desires. So be slow, slow to speak and quick to listen. So I'm not going to write about what I feel about because I need to spend some time listening. But uh, there's some people I feel like need somebody from uh, a biblical perspective and a practical perspective to to comment about how Christians should respond to the church shutting down during COVID or how we should respond to the, the racial and the retaliation issues that are existing right now. And uh, I've discovered that if you're going to comment on those issues, you better have tough skin because uh, there are going to be some criticism. And that, a lot of people are afraid to, to say what they believe for fear that somebody's going to attack them, but somebody needs to speak up too. So uh, that's my secondary purpose. Hmm. So I know not everybody gets to, uh, call up Bob Russell and ask for his advice on how to handle the COVID situation. <laughs> but I'm sure those that are, you're, you're able to, to walk them through that in a wise way. But just for pastors and preachers listening into this, what, what advice would you give them right now in the midst of this COVID season of how to continue to minister and just a word of encouragement to them? Well, uh, you know, uh, Lau Schaller used to write a lot about church growth, and he said an unusual thing that stuck in my mind one time. He said the church is in danger of becoming a second commandment church. What do you mean? We said, Jesus said the first commandment was to love God with all of our hearts. The second commandment is to love other people. But the church now is so focused on serving the community, loving the community, having a good reputation in the community because we know the church is under attack. So we're bending over backward to minister to people, and that's good. But we need to remember that the first commandment is to love God. And Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. So we begin by asking, what, what does God want me to do here? What has God commanded me in his word to do here? And then how can I do this in as loving a way as possible. So <clears throat> I, I lean a little bit toward the uh, 
side that the church has, has caved in too fast and too long to saying, okay, we don't need to meet together. And I, I encourage them to find ways to, uh, to communicate with other preachers what they're doing, but also to find ways that their people can meet together. I, I've, I've been to church online for two months, and I'm telling you, uh, it, it's not doing it for me. Uh, when I'm with a group of eight and I'm the, I'm the best or the loudest singer in the group, <laughs> we're in trouble. And, and I miss congregational singing. I miss the interaction with other people. I, I miss the accountability. So I, I, I think that we're hungry right now for some preachers to rise up and in a loving way and in a courageous way say, okay, we're going to meet outside. My, my son Rusty preaches in Florida. And he and I have talked about this a lot. And for the last three weeks, uh, they're meeting outside and uh, they're, they're doing whatever they can to, to get back together. But the other side of that is these are really tough times for preachers. And it's a time to remember God does not evaluate our effectiveness by numbers. He's going to evaluate our effectiveness by our faithfulness. And I think the guys are going to have to uh, look at ministry and evaluate uh, success in ministry, to use that word, on, on a, in a different way in the future. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the average church, when we reassemble, uh, loses up to a third of its uh, attendance numbers. People are in the habit of not coming and people are afraid to get back together in large groups and they're getting accustomed to sitting at home in their robe and watching online. And it is going to take a while for us to get back to the, uh, the, the numbers that we had before. And pastors are going to have to, to uh, look to the Lord for approval and not to statistics. When you look back, you know, you, you've, you're now in like 55 years of ministry. If I'm doing my math, right. Um, when you look back during that time, I mean, you've obviously led through different seasons of civil unrest. Um, uh, I mean, you've, you've already, if you, if you go back that far, you're thinking about, uh, the sixties or the end of the sixties and, and during that time and different times from a political perspective, um, in the seventies and eighties and, and you've just been through so much and seen so much. When I look at our churches right now, one of the biggest things I'm concerned about, yes, is, is of course we've got, um, COVID We've also got race relations right now. Both of those things are, it seems like ripping, um, ripping our, our communities apart and, and potentially our churches apart or potentially because of such divisive issue. You know, it's, it's such a, a divisive thing where, you know, as a pastor, um, one of the things that I've talked to pastors a lot about more recently is they've got different divisions of people within their congregation where, you know, some of them are afraid to come all together. Some of them are mad that we stopped meeting in the first place. 
some are 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 mad that we're not going to wear masks, you know, next week when we come in. Uh, they want separate rooms for for this and that. You've got that going on, and at the same time, uh, you know this massive movement uh, that's happening in in America and now spreading around the world. How would you um, how how have you led in different times where there was division within your church and you needed to bring unity? How would you how would you go about that? Um, Yeah, I want to say. First, I have led through some of those times, but I don't think that I've led through times as tough as these. I, I think these are, uh, I, I thought the uh, coronavirus situation was going to be tough. As you mentioned, uh, Southeast Christian Church did a survey and a third of the people said, we need to be meeting right now. And a third of the people said, we need to come back with a, a lot of social distancing regulations. And a third says, we don't need to come back till we got a vaccine. So, I mean, it really is a divisive issue. And Satan is so clever, he, he uses the ramifications of one issue to create division in the church. And that's exactly the thing we don't need. And even more so now with this uh, racial issue, it is so difficult. And, and I think pastors, number one, uh, need to have a group of leaders around them, the elders of the church or whoever the the board of deacons or whatever it might be to make sure they're all on the same page. You know, you, you can go through a lot if you have unity at the core. It's when you have disunity at the core that you're in trouble. But if you can get up and say, now our elders and I have met and here's the stance we're taking on this issue. The other thing that I think we need to do is very clearly and lovingly early on say, here's our church's stance on this issue, not to try to avoid uh, making any kind of statement that's going to be perceived as a political statement, because you cannot separate the two anymore. There's so many spiritual issues that are are political issues. The, The racial reconciliation is one of those. You know, the Bible has a lot lot to say about how we're to treat people of every tribe, every tongue, and every race. But it also has something to say about uh, obeying the law and being in order. One of the the areas we, I feel like we did that well was when, in 1973, when Roe versus Wade was passed. a lot of churches immediately came out and said, regardless of what the Supreme Court decides, we want you to know we are a pro-life church. Now, if you have had an abortion, we want you to know that God loves you, and your forgiveness from God is available, we want you here, but we are a pro-life church. And, you know, maybe a few people were, were, were alienated by that, but it was the right stand, and who would have ever thought in 73 that actually we'd come back later and, and kind of be winning that battle? Contrast that with the way we have handled the gay marriage issue. That was such a controversial issue. Most churches will say, well, we really haven't vacillated on that issue. We still believe that homosexuality is a sin, but we want to be able to minister to people and and, uh, not to make that a distinctive sin. We all sin. And 
pretty soon we get strangely silent on some of those moral issues, homosexuality or divorce or whatever. And we think we're being silent so that we're not alienating people. But the tragedy of that is we're losing our kids. Our kids are coming through the church growing up with not knowing what the church stands for or what the, having a Christian worldview. And pretty soon uh, we're hearing reports that they're the ones that are moving in with their, their partner. They're the ones who are uh, working at Planned Parenthood. Uh, they're the ones who are uh, renouncing the faith. But I, I think as a church, we need to have unity at the core and then early on, we need to say, okay, here's where our church stands on this issue. And a lot of times, it's a balance. Um, the, the church ought to be able to say, hey, we support the police. We recognize that all, one rogue preacher doesn't mean all preachers are bad, and one really bad policeman doesn't mean we condemn every police. But also, we recognize that there have been some uh racial injustices. We're making some progress in that area, but we need to do better. And here's what we can do. And, and this is where we're going to stand as a church. But if we wait around and don't say anything, people divide into camps, uh, we're liable to lose a lot more than, than we would if we just said right up front, here's where we believe God would have us to be. You know, one of the things that um, I can distinctly remember learning from uh, Lon Solomon at, at McLean Bible was I remember, and I think it may have been, I, I can't remember what the issue was, um, but I think it was gay marriage. And he, um, he, the way he handles, he, he, he never um, just had a, a sermon that was on a specific subject because uh, he was the most expositional preacher I've ever met in my entire life. But when the passage dealt with something, he was going to deal with it and deal with it very directly. Well, and I remember uh, saying something to him one time um, that, hey, you know, you could have said that in a nicer way. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he's like, do you want me to say this is not God's best for you? He said, that won't do. I said, no, I know I didn't say that. But I, but but um, it, he's like, if. If you want to make sure you, you have to be clear. And if you think that um, I am over aggressive in the way that I say something, it's because I don't want anybody. I, I, I don't want anybody to be fuzzy on this subject. This is this is what is you know biblical. This is what uh, the Bible says. And it is what it is. I'm not going to. Um, Hold back from that. Well, I, I just I, you're making a great point from my vantage point because I think most of our preaching should be expositional preaching, and every issue that comes up in the culture is going to bubble up in that teaching. Uh, and what I see a lot of guys doing is they'll have a sermon on a sermon series on hot topics, and one whole sermon will be on gay marriage. And they'll deal with all the ramifications of that and try to do it in a loving way and think, okay, I've dealt with that issue. Now I don't have to talk about it for the next four years. Right. But I think we're, it's much more powerful if we just preach through the Bible and when uh, a passage 
we're in Romans one, uh, it deals with that. We're going to deal with that for a few minutes, but we're going to go on to, to something else that applies to stewardship. Uh, I think it's a lot more effective just when a paragraph comes up about giving or generosity, we, we make the application in the course of the study of that scripture, as opposed to one or two sermons a year on stewardship. So good. Bob, you should have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I need. Something more. <laughs> well, no, Bob, you just talk to somebody. I mean, you, I would just listen to stories with Bob Russell's and just hear all the stories that you have. It'd be great. Oh, there are several CDs that somebody put together about favorite stories of Bob Russell. And uh, <laughs> I don't know if they're still available or not, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll try to find them. <laughs> It's funny, you know, when you preach, my, my wife was in charge of the tape ministry for a while. Hardly ever, she said, hardly ever would somebody come and say, Bob had a sermon on 1 Corinthians 6. Could you t- find that sermon for me? Almost always they will say, you know, there's a sermon and Bob told a story about such and such. Could you find that sermon for me? And at first that hurts my feelings a little bit. <laughs> but then I remember... There are times when Jesus taught in parables. And in fact, one time says he didn't teach anything except it was in, in parables. And there's there's a there's something powerful about a story. It, it, uh, it opens up and cultivates the, the hard soil of the heart, I think, and, and uh, enables the word of God to be planted there. Well, that's, you know, we, we already uh, referenced this before, but, um, you know, love love the Lord God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. And that the next thing is so powerful when he's asked, who is my neighbor? And his response is just to immediately say, a man was on his way down. from Oh, that's so good. (laughs) It's, it, it is such, it's, it's so more effective than just a, a, a logical philosophical argument or, you know, arguing over the law in the way he handled that because you're like, okay, <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. I, I can't argue. Yeah. I'm still talking about it. Well, Bob, with our last question, <clears throat> we ask about your 20 year old self and, and with everything that we just talked about, this season of ministry being so tough, let me just change it just a tiny bit. And what would you tell a 20-year-old who is stepping into ministry today and sees the issues? What would you tell them to have longevity in ministry and to stick around for the long haul? What advice would you share with them? Well, I I think first, there is tremendous uh, advantage to long ministry. Not everybody is supposed to stay one place for a long time. But I think to have a long ministry, you've got to have a mindset that you're going to bloom where you're planted. Where guys get into trouble most of the time is comparing ourselves to other people and trying to compete with other people. And we get dissatisfied because somebody else is doing better. Uh, Somebody else's books selling better. Somebody else asked to speak at a convention and we're not. I just hosted yesterday a guy who's preached in Kansas for 28 years and he's in a town of 400 people and has 60 in his church. And he's been there for 28 years. But you know what? There have been kids come through that 
church that have gone on to the ministry and that little church has impacted a, a, a lot of people because he's faithfully stayed where he was because he thought that's where, where God wanted him. And in order to do that, you got to say, Hey, these are the, this is the flock that God has entrusted me with right now. And I'm going to not compare myself with other people. I'm just going to do the best I can. If God wants to promote me, uh, he'll come and promote me. I don't have to go looking for it. And I, I think to, to be content in whatever circumstance you are, that is step one. Another thing I tell young guys is I beg them to do what we were talking about earlier. Just preach the Bible. There's such power in the scripture. I, I, I can't tell you how many times people would come up to me and say, I was struggling with a problem several weeks ago and I came to church and I couldn't get over it. You talked about that very thing and it really helped me. And I feel so good till I go home and look at what I preached on had nothing to do with your problem. <laughs> but the, the Holy Spirit, the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, it, able to penetrate the thoughts and the intent of the heart. It's not the fads. It's not the cleverness. It, it's not the uh, visual aids. Though I, all those things can help. It's the power of the Bible. And if you can take the Bible and teach it in such a way that people understand it and apply it to their personal lives, that's the key. And then add some stories that will make it come alive. You'll be amazed. The, the, the word of God does not return empty. And uh, to understand, you're just, you're, you're just a seed sower. And some seeds going to fall on hard soil and some on thorny soil. But some will fall on good soil and it will eventually produce a harvest. And if you have a perspective of that and, and you're courageous. But the, the, one other thing I would say there. If, if these young guys going out today, unless our culture is miraculously reversed, some of these guys, if they're faithful, they're going to wind up in jail or they're, they're going to be persecuted uh, unlike previous generations because uh, the, the opposition to the word of God is getting uh, pretty strong. That's a good way to encourage a young, young preacher to preach the Bible and I'll come visit you in jail. <laughs> well, Bob, I just want to, I just want to again, thank you so much for spending time with us. Um, I can't wait to have you on again. I, I think this might be the third time you've been on, uh, but every single time um, I'm around you or uh, get to have a podcast with you. I'm just reminded of um, uh, of why we love you so much. Oh, well, thank you. I, I enjoy your podcast, and let's just be faithful and trust God's uh, that the world's in God's hands, not ours. I'm thankful for that. Well, uh, thank you guys for listening, and please hop, hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. See ya. Thank you.